Hi, welcome to a new episode of the Turn and Talk podcast. And in this episode, we get a chance to hear from someone who has created a very special tool for educators to use in their classrooms. And without further ado, let's hear her story. I started my career in technology. So uh, I worked at the big tech firms like Apple, Samsung, HP. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to do something more and, and kind of use technology in a more rich way. And so obviously education is an incredible space to use technology, but without really understanding, you know, what the needs are and, and um, how technology can be used and how it can be innovative to help kids, I didn't really know where to start. So I thought I should just go be a teacher. So a few years ago, um, I decided to go become a teacher. I got credentialed um, and started teaching in middle school in particular um, in, uh, in, on the West Coast. And so that's where my teaching career began. I taught sixth grade and then I taught seventh, eighth, and back to sixth this year. Uh, so I'm very excited. And my students are, um, you know, I think it's important to give context. So my students are uh, on 100% free lunch. Um, I have a very high percentage of students with IEPs in my classroom, about 25%. So about a quarter of my class um, are students on IEPs. And um, I also have a 100% black and brown uh, student population. And so, you know, with that environment, I thought, well, this is, this is a great place to integrate technology. And so I kind of, even though I teach math and science, I became the tech teacher effectively. So I don't use whiteboards. I don't use chalkboards. I use iPads and Chromebooks. And, um, you know, we have two computers, two big TV screens on the sides of my classroom. And that's how I engage with the class. I walk around with my iPad. We do problems on my iPad. Um, and it's been a really fun experience kind of really playing around with technology. And obviously, in the ed tech space, there's so much curriculum that you could leverage and games and tools and all sorts of stuff uh, that you can use to make your lesson plans more robust. Um, so, you know, I think it's a, it's a really great experience that I've had so far. That's, uh, that's so great because that brings up so many questions for me with regards to technology and the use of technology and the access uh, to technology, especially in low-income communities and underserved communities. Uh, so I, I would love to just get started with hearing your thoughts about why did you feel that technology was something that was needed uh, as some sort of a mediator with the student population that you were working with? You mentioned needs and you mentioned uh, a student population that sounds like primarily uh, underprivileged groups, underserved groups, historically underserved groups. Why was technology an important factor or a lever in this context for you? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think people have sometimes the wrong uh, idea of what students like mine are capable of. So, you know, oftentimes they're like, well, technology is kind of advanced and they may not be able to leverage all of these resources. But I'll tell you, even in my sixth grade, about 90% of the kids have their own cell phones. And, and they're not the newest iPhones necessarily, but they know how to use the apps. They know how to do, you know, fun things on their phones and use technology. I mean, these kids, no matter, no matter where they are on the economic spectrum, really are digital natives, whether they're using their own devices or they're using devices that their friends have or, or their 
um, kind of family or community has. So, so when, when you think about how do I teach kids, you have to start at what they're already comfortable with. And what my students were not comfortable with, quite frankly, was sitting in a chair, opening up a notebook and taking out a pencil. That was a skill that many of my students did not have. The skill that they did have was opening up a web page or uh, downloading an app or playing a game. Those are skills that they already had. And so in my mind, I should start where, where they are and not try to teach this skill that, quite frankly, I mean, you know, in the professional world that I came from, I didn't use notebooks and pencils either. So if they're more comfortable with technology, then let's start there. Yeah, sounds great. But then at the same time, a lot of teachers uh, sometimes struggle with figuring out how to integrate technology in a way that is productive because there are so many things available. You were alluding to that before that there are such a large amount of curriculum available, games available and all of But it's hard to determine then the quality of it. And so what, what has been your approach in figuring out what to use, what not to use in, in your classroom? Yeah, unfortunately, there's no easy answer to that. It's it's really kind of a like a test and trial uh, process that I've gone through. So some things work for some kids and some kids that some things don't work for some kids. And you have to kind of get comfortable with different tools um, and know when to use them and know how to use them. And And I don't think there's right now kind of an easy way to navigate all the different resources out there. Um, it, at least I haven't found. So to me, it's, it's, it is difficult. That's a reality. Um, and there's no, in my mind, easy answer. You just kind of have to try it all out. And sometimes it'll fail. But it's just kind of like lesson plans. When you try a new lesson plan out, even without technology, sometimes it bombs. And, and that's the kind of trial and error that you have to go through. Now, with regular paper-based curriculum, Obviously, there's, uh, you know, there's standardized curricula that comes out from either your school district or from other places that gives you uh, confidence that it's going to work. But again, not everything works for every kid. And the same is true for technology. So, you know, what I would say to that is you just have to try and have an open mind. Yeah. And the other barrier to technology that I often feel or hear from teachers about is that uh, the proficiency level, I mean, you know, some, some people would call that techno literacy. And we talk about it in terms of students' ability to proficiently use uh, technology, specifically technology for educational purposes. And then at the same time, uh, the same is applied to teachers. Techno literacy levels of, of teachers also vary. Um, so when you know, in your own classroom, what, what are some things that perhaps you have learned about accessing technology and uh, learning, learning a tool or how to start using a new tool with kids that you also don't know how to use yourself? Yeah. Um, so I think, I, I think I was very lucky to have a background in the tech world. So I haven't had so many challenges, um, kind of learning new things. Many times though, when I'm trying out a new product in my classroom, uh, the kids will figure things out that I didn't. And it's great. You have to, I mean, you have to kind of understand that technology is one of these great equalizers in that the kids in many ways are faster and more adept at learning the intricacies of a tool than, than I will be. 
which is great. I don't, I don't have to be the master of the technology. Um, the kids will find something and they'll say, oh, look, did you know you could do this? And I'll say, oh, I, no, I didn't. Hey, that's great. So yeah, so I think really just leveraging the student's expertise uh, and again, digital nativeness that they have to, to really elevate them in the classroom, I think is a really great experience. And that's what I've done. In terms of teachers not um, having the, the technological literacy to um, effectively do this. I think, I think that is, in my opinion, quite a shame because um, in the workspace, again, teaching was my second career. In this workspace that I came from before I was a teacher, the number one thing you need to know how to do is use technology no matter where you work. Uh, you know, my father is uh, an accountant for a company and they changed all their systems. What my dad does all day is less math and more leveraging technology to, to do the work that he needs to do. And, and so, you know, what, in my mind, if we really are trying to prepare these kids for the workforce, eventually, um, technology has to be such an integral part. When I see classrooms that are just pen and paper, I, I really, I really feel like something big is missing because it's just not the way they're going to go out there and access information and um, use information. A lot of times teachers feel that um, technology can be distracting. So, you know, if I have kids research something online, they'll get distracted, they'll click on things that are like clickbait or what have you, and they'll go all over the place. That's true. But that's a skill that they need to develop because when they get older and go to college or get their first job and they have to research something online, they will have to learn to focus and not go through kind of all of these, you know, traps of clicking and going to random places. That's just a skill that they'll need to develop. I oftentimes I push back on some of my fellow teachers that don't want to leverage technology because to me it's 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 a skill that is vital. And if we're not integrating that skill day in, day out, you know, when um, I contemplated teaching high school and when I wanted to do high school math, I wanted to do it all in Excel. And, and people were like, you're going to do math in Excel. And I'm like, yeah, because that's the only place you use math when you go to work. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't do pen and paper. You don't, you don't come up with uh, you know, an algorithm on paper, you have to come up with the formula in Excel. And that's the skill that I want my kids to come away with, not, you know, these abstract conceptions of, um, of what math is. So what did draw you to teaching anyway? Uh, how did you make that transition from the business world to, um, to education? Yeah, I think it was, it was incredibly hard, but, you know, you kind of have to um, go through life a little bit with, you know, your own measure of success. And I think, you know, it's hard from, I come from a very conservative family who values things like income and, uh, you know, prestige of the job and all of that kind of stuff. And it was hard to kind of leave that to teaching, especially going from where I was in, in the tech world to a first year teacher, um, both in terms of salary and kind of position and power and so forth. Uh, but you kind of have to you know, I thought of my life as like three acts where act one is, if it were a play, act one is where you get all the stuff you need to be successful. You figure out who everyone is. Act two, which is the part of my life that I was in when I transitioned to teaching, is when all the stuff happens. You have to take risks. You have to do things that are crazy. And 
act two, like things blow up and everything goes nuts. But in that process, you really find kind of what centers you and what makes you really a happy person. And so, you know, I made a commitment to myself that my act two was going to be whatever I felt like doing. And I felt like I wanted to try teaching because I felt passionate about what I could do in that space. And so I just jumped and I did it. And you kind of have to, whenever you're making a career change, you kind of just have to do it without overthinking it. Because if you overthink it, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't do it. Thank you for sharing that. I Inspirational. I also am a career changer. That's how I also enter teaching. Um, yeah. I was also in the business world before I came into teaching. And, you know, one of the things that is uh, sometimes very difficult for people, all teachers, I think, at some point relate to this is that in any other, a lot of other professions, the measure of your success is uh, e- more easily visible. Uh, and in shorter stretches of time than is possible when you're teaching in the classroom. It's, uh, uh, so it can be difficult to know how successful or effective you are. Um, you know, especially some would argue in the middle school level, you never know how those kids are actually going to change the world when they go out. You'll never know until 10 years later. Um, but so what, now that you, you've also changed your career, like what is your measure of uh, success for yourself? How, what do you hold yourself accountable to in teaching? Yeah, yeah. so I think, you know, this also kind of gets to what one question uh, around what surprised me the most about teaching. And the, the thing that surprised me the most about teaching was how little teaching I did my first year. Um, so I spent most of my time on behavior management and classroom management and trying to figure out how to, um, you know, again, I had, I had a lot of students with needs, not just the quarter of my students with IEPs, but also, you know, students that didn't have IEPs that really had behavioral challenges and didn't, um, did, hadn't, hadn't yet developed a lot of the coping and self-management mechanisms that you would expect in a sixth or seventh grade classroom. Um, And so, you know, I spent a lot of time kind of managing that. And so when I think about, when I think about kind of what, what I felt like was the most important thing for me to focus on um, in the classroom, it really was classroom management and how to leverage technology also to to support classroom management. And I think that's actually a space that um, was really ripe for innovation because there's really nothing really out there that helps teachers manage their classroom uh, with any sort of tool um, effectively. Like there's things where, you know, there's bells and group, you know, makers and things like that, but, but not something that the kids can use, that I can use, that we can all use together to kind of create a dialogue around expectations in the classroom, uh, the skills that the students wanna build, give them autonomy to kind of manage their own learning goals. goals. Um, And so that that to me was one of the more kind of important things that I learned from from my experiences. And and, and it sounds like you did something about that, right? So what did did you, you you were also a creator of an application. So what did you do? Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I created a free, totally free app for teachers um, and parents can use it too. Uh, it's called Cred Rewards. And, and basically how it works is the students get a profile so they can either download the app or go online um, and they pick skills or goals that they want to work on across different categories like academic, behavior, um, social, emotional, 
um, sports, arts, or they can create their own. And so the importance of this is you put autonomy in the hands of the kids. You say, you know, I, I have certain objectives that I want you to learn, but I also want you to think about what objectives you want to achieve and plan and track your own skills. And that's what the goal of that application is. So the kids pick the skills that they want to work on. It could be, you know, I want to do a jump shot in, you know, in five weeks or something. So I'm going to practice 30 minutes a day for three days a week, uh, for five weeks, whatever the skill is that you want to build, I have no judgment over it. I just want to build the capability of picking something you want to work on, tracking it every day, building a habit out of making positive choices like that. Um, and then my job as a teacher, or if a parent uses it, is to reward you for um, meeting your own goals. And so there's, there's a point system and a digital rewards catalog uh, associated with it. So basically kids get points from me for, for meeting their goals or doing the right thing in the classroom. Um, and then they can go online and pick the rewards that they want, uh, be it a classroom more reward like, you know, free lunch or, you know, sometimes I put things in there like get a free notebook or, you know, an Amazon gift card or something like that. So, um, so, you know, it's all done digitally, which is nice because as we transitioned, it was really nice actually when we had to go into distance learning uh, in the spring and my classroom management tool worked perfectly both in person and digitally, which was nice because I still had that motivational tool, you know, it, it actually helped me get students in my Zoom classroom because I said, you know, for the first week I would give five points every time somebody, uh, you know, came and participated for the full classroom. And that got, you know, 95% participation in the first weeks. Um, so it was a really great experience. And, and for me, this app was really about creating autonomy for the kids to manage their own learning goals. Um, but then also an avenue for me to give positive attention uh, in, a, in a way that is visible. It's not just something you say in class, but it's something that the kids can have. They got these points in their system and they can you know, take on challenges or play games or different things with it. Um, I think that was really important to me. That sounds super cool. And I have, I have a lot of questions about it. But first, um, how did you have time to make a nap while you were teaching? <laughs> I, I luckily had some help uh, from some of my friends who uh, are also coders, who are actually better coders than I am. Uh, so, so that was great. Um, I didn't do it all myself. Uh, I got some help. And it was fun. Honestly, in, in one of the classes that I had, so I had to teach um, uh, kind of a business or entrepreneur class, entrepreneurship class to seventh and eighth graders. And I, I basically was like, why don't we just make this app as our, you know, project for the class. And so the kids really got into it thinking about product design and, you know, user flows and all of that. So I actually also had a ton of help from the kids who helped pick, you know, colors, they picked the name, they picked, you know, they did so much of the work of, of kind of helping me design uh, this application in a way that would be useful to them, uh, but also useful to other students that I would have. So cool. So now let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the philosophy behind, behind this. Uh, if you mm -hmm. could speak a little bit about 
obviously you're saying at the surface level, you saw the need for something like this. So you wanted to make it uh, and you created this kind of a tool and a resource for teachers and parents and for yourself, of course. Um, why should we use uh, something like that? Something that's like a behavior management sort of a tool. Yeah, and, and the way that I would actually describe it, and, and one of the kind of pushbacks that some people have towards this is, well, you're using a lot of external rewards for these kids, right? So it's, you're not building this intrinsic motivation to want to do something, which is always the goal, but I'm using these point systems and rewards uh, to motivate um, the skill building and positive behaviors, which is true. But if you look into the science of, um, you know, motivation, there's of adolescent and childhood motivation, they speak to those two things that you need to do. One is you need to give kids autonomy. So they need to have choice, right? I'm not going to be motivated to do something if I have no choice in the process. And then the second thing I need is I need positive attention. So when I make a good choice, I need to get that positive feedback from whoever so that I can make those types of choices again. An important part of the philosophy of our, of our application is you can't take away points. So once you give a point because somebody did something positive, that positive exists in the world. Even if in the next second they do something kind of negative, um, that needs to be dealt with on its, on its own. But that positive doesn't get erased. That positive was still there. And, and the importance of that is that the kids should realize you had these positives. Maybe you also had some negatives in the day, but we're not going to, this isn't an accounting process where we're going to net where you ended up. This is, you had three positives and that's what I want you to go home with today, even if you had some negatives. Um, and the role that we use external rewards for, you know, there's, there's a science also around how to do rewards right. And a couple of the rules that I've learned on how to do rewards correctly so that it's not, it doesn't become a crutch and it's not like bribing kids is, is one, you want to reward things for, you want to reward the things that kids don't naturally like to do themselves. I'm not going to give rewards for playing Fortnite for five hours. You know, that's mm -hmm. something that they already have the motivation to do and I don't need to reward, but I do want to reward um, if a student has difficulty, for example, um, uh, doing things on their own or, you know, trying, uh, trying to solve a problem on their own, you know, I want I want them to work on that skill of how can you go about thinking through this problem and working on it on your own for a certain period of time before you ask for help. And it's something that they don't want to do, that they'd rather just raise their hand or decide that they don't want to work on the problem. But if you motivate that with, if you can do that three times a day, then you get, you know, this reward or this point, then you start breaking these kind of learned bad habits that the children might have, and you start building better habits. And there's a ton of research around how you can use external rewards to do that. So that's kind of rule number one is you want to focus on things that are difficult or hard or not what the kids would naturally want to do. Um, the second rule is that rewards need to be based on effort and not outcome. So you can't say I'm going to give you five points if you get an A on the test because, well, maybe they won't get an A on the test and then they'll get discouraged. So what you want to do is say, I'll give you five points if you spend an extra 15 minutes studying for the test. That's something they can accomplish. And the more that they study, the more apt they are to get an A on the test. And so you reward effort. 
Um, and, and I think, you know, this, the last kind of rule that I think about is um, the, the autonomy piece is really, really important. And without autonomy, um, you kind of make rewards just very transactional. Like if you do this, I'll give you this. But if you focus on, I'm, you have a choice here. You can either, you know, make this choice, which is positive, or you can make another choice. That choice system really kind of enables that autonomy that I think um, is very powerful when using external rewards. Cool. Thank you. Do you feel that uh, this science of rewards and how to make them work using these three rules you shared with us, the autonomy, the level of difficulty, and based on effort, does this apply across all age groups or does it work uh, better with some age groups and not as well with others? So at least what I've read, it it's pretty much across um, childhood and adolescence. I mean, these rules are quite frankly, even applicable to adults. Uh, you know, even though I didn't read about adult motivation, I feel like those are very common things. In fact, some of the research that I was looking at um, on external rewards showed how um, that rule number one of helping people break bad habits, uh, rewards were really helpful. Like there was this one study that talked about pregnant women trying to quit smoking. Um, and they had a very difficult time because obviously they were addicted to it. So the study used external rewards like money um, or different types of rewards to get them to quit. And it was much more successful than not using the reward. So, you know, uh, things like that are, are, are just kind of like obvious. And, you know, I have a toddler and I used external rewards to potty train her, you know? So we, every time that she would make the right choice and um, go use the potty, we gave her a reward. And as, this is an important part too, as she built that skill herself, so as she knew I was supposed to go to the bathroom every time I need to go, I started weaning that reward off and putting the reward on some other skill that I wanted her to develop. And I think I, I forgot to mention this, but that's a really important thing too. You don't want to keep rewarding the same thing forever. Once that skill is mastered, you move on to rewarding another skill. So then I was working on, can you sit, you know, at dinner for the entire time without getting up and moving around, even if you're done eating, um, you know, so we kind of move to different skills in order to, to kind of support her behavior management. Yeah, that's really interesting too. I mean, um, you're you're right. I think a lot for a lot of people, a lot of people can res can can understand and it'll resonate that a lot of external rewards and consequences, I guess, as forms of rewards, work fairly effectively in our daily life. Uh, I can think of many many uh, situations as well, like you know, not not positive ones, perhaps like getting a speeding ticket. I just recently got <clears throat> it stops. Uh, at least for, for a little while, it's going to stop me from uh, speeding or at least be yeah. more careful so I don't do it because I don't want to have uh, that sort of a negative consequence in, in return. Uh, so oftentimes these external mechanisms work, uh, but sometimes it, it, it feels like it also depends on what the behavior is and what the thing is that you're trying to do. So for example, in the story you shared uh, with your daughter, um, that's a you know, she also has to 
go to the restroom. So it's like a need almost, you know, it's not uh, a thing that you necessarily always want her to do. It's in the beginning that she's not recognizing that uh, she can use the restroom for that thing. And, but then what to do with things that the kids aren't motivated intrinsically to do, right? So when I'm hungry, I'm intrinsically motivated to eat and uh, you can give me a reward for eating the, the right kinds of things and that might work for me, but I'm still going to eat. So reward or not, I'm going to go figure out a way to eat. So that's like an intrinsic um, calling that, that I have to respond to. Uh, but a lot of times where people have troubles with, uh, trouble with rewards uh, systems is when the motivation isn't there to do this, the task. So can you speak a little bit about how you know, ways to increase motivations. And, and I don't know if, if in your app, uh, this is built in, if you could speak a little bit about how that, how motivation is addressed through some of the, some of your systems. Yeah. And I think, I think then um, the difference between my toddler example versus, you know, my sixth graders is for my toddler, I didn't really give her a choice of what she gets rewarded on. Right. So I just said, if you're going to use the bathroom when you need to go, then I'm going to give you a reward. Um, But for my sixth graders, you know, I really base it off of the autonomous choice that they made in their skills. So I, I, I think that's very important because they need to see that they're in control here too. So even if they're not fully motivated to do certain things, um, they still they still have choice and that choice helps motivate them. So for example, if I want them to, you know, come after school and study math for an additional 30 minutes because I know that they need that support. Um, what I might do is as they're building their skills, uh, and I use this as my morning routine. So in their morning, they, you know, uh, they would look at their skills and they would track them. Um, but I let them track things that they kind of want to do. So, you know, maybe they're a basketball star and they want to, you know, go do basketball games, you know, for an hour, uh, four days a week or something like that. So I'll, I'll encourage them to do that. And at the same time, I can have a conversation with them to say, you know, another academic skill that you could use is working on uh, your math support. And so maybe we can also add that skill that you track. And maybe we don't start four days a week like you have with basketball. Maybe we start one day a week. And then we do that for three weeks and see how it goes. And then we can kind of graduate from there. And so in that conversation, you're creating this consensus-based dialogue with your student and they agree to it. They start slow. They track it every day. So, you know, if on Tuesday they haven't yet done that day of math after school, I can go over and say, do you know when in the week you want to do this? You know, it's already Tuesday. We only have Wednesday, Thursday. So, you know, when, when are you going to come in? And then it helps them plan and really manage their own growth in the process. They go, okay, you're right. I want to get this check mark. So uh, let me try to come in on Thursday. And I'm like, great. I'll see you Thursday. So, so I think giving that autonomy and that choice in the experience really helps the motivation. It also helps motivate when you're having these one-on-one dialogues with students. And, and it doesn't have to be in the moment in class. I mean, I have, you know, 28 students in my class. So I obviously can't go around every single student to have this dialogue. But over the course of 
you know, weeks and weeks and, and the quarters, I can. And I can go through and talk about the skills that the kids are putting in the program, what they want to build, how they want to build it, um, and, and the process that they take. And it's really a wonderful dialogue because it's not about math and science all the time. You know, it's about them and the skills that they want to build. And I think that helps create a relationship between the teacher and the student um, that's a lot more deeper than just the content. And that relationship also then helps you motivate the kids uh, better. Thanks. Uh, I'm sure in your research, as you were working on this app and creating your app, uh, you found that clearly this is a controversial topic. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of people who are very much against the language of, you know, rewards and consequences and external rewards and uh, stuff of, of that nature. Um, in, in the education circles, I've heard both sides. Um, there was a time when, uh, you know, PBIS was very, very uh, popular, positive behavior and instructional supports. And there's also a group um, or a subgroup within the education community that feels, again, is that carrot stick kind of a situation and that obviously is not perceived very positively. So uh -huh. how do you tell people, you know, how do uh, you share, you know, that there's value in this in your experience? Like what is your response to a lot of the criticisms about the carrot and stick kind of approach? Yeah, and obviously, you know, our, our program focuses more, or at least my teaching ethos focuses more on the positive carrot um, aspect versus the stick. Uh, I do have consequences in my classroom, but um, I will often let things go in the classroom because I don't want to give attention to negative things. I only want to give attention to positive things. So unless something becomes unsafe or, um, you know, so disruptive that uh, it has to be managed and dealt with, I just ignore it and I don't, I don't give students the attention that they're often seeking for um, that kind of negative behavior. So I, I wanted to make that point clear um, that I focus more on the positive and, I, and, I, and you're absolutely right. A lot of people, you know, a lot of teachers say, I don't like to use external rewards because I think that the kids should just love learning on their own and you know, that's how it works. And I mean, uh, I think the challenge that I have with that is um, it's, it's a great concept in theory. Uh, it's also a great concept that I should wanna become a teacher and not do it for the money and not care how much they pay me. And I should just do it because I love it, which I do, but I also care how much they pay me. And I also care um, if I'm putting in extra time, what reward I'm getting as a result of that extra time. And, and so I think it's, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, it's just, it seems like a little bit fanciful to think about a world where uh, you don't need rewards or extrinsic motivation to get you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't naturally do. Um, and, and our whole world operates on a system of rewards. I think the key is you don't wanna make rewards such a big crutch. And that's, that's the goal of you know, making sure that you move on from one skill to another once that skill is mastered or that skill is developed. Because if you only give rewards for one thing and one thing alone, I mean, that was my problem with PBIS is it was, you know, like be safe. There were three things, I totally forgot what they are now, but there were three things that were kind of the crux of, of PBIS, but they were so restrictive because 
I have a kid that's safe all the time. Am I going to give rewards to that kid for being safe every single day? No. The thing that they need to work on is something completely different. And so what I need to do is reward them for working on this skill that they have difficulty with. And as they get better at that skill, I move the reward to a different skill that they develop. Um, and I think that's important. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I hear the naysayers. I, I would argue that they also operate on a system of rewards themselves and rewards are really a natural part of life. I mean, think about if you wanted to go exercise, a lot of people use mental rewards to get them to do things that they don't want to do. If you want to go to the gym three times a week, sometimes you'll say, okay, I won't watch this movie that I really want to watch unless I hit my three day a week goal. You know, you, everybody does these things in their heads and the science is pretty clear on when things are difficult, rewards help you build the skill. Once you start going to the gym regularly, once you build that skill and aptitude of actually I'm really fit. So going to the gym makes me feel really great. So now I don't need that reward anymore because I'm intrinsically motivated. There's like chemicals in my body now that are formed that make me want to go to the gym. Um, you don't need that reward anymore. But to start, you know, right after Thanksgiving, rewards help. Yeah, and, and I think that's the hard part for a lot of us to uh, sometimes understand, right? Because with everything we worry as teachers, if we start something, how are you going to stop it? And then uh, is there going to be an over-reliance on a certain extrinsic tool or a mechanism yeah. that will then become a handicap later uh, uh in in, in 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 the way that it'll prevent you from ever developing independence um and that's one of the criticisms that i've heard about you know rewards so uh in the way you've been using it what has your experience been like how how do students fare with this um i think i think it it's worked really well um there are students that uh you know don't really get motivated by the process. So, you know, I would say every year there's probably about 10% of students that, um, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to participate and they don't really want to um, use this program uh, and they're not motivated to try on new skills. And I try to have conversations with them and their families on, you know, motivation, but, but the challenge there sometimes is a lot deeper. Um, and so, you know, that's always been my challenge is when I see that 10% of students, how do I dig in deeper to, to why they don't want to participate? And it's not about the, the program, you know, cred rewards. It's more about, you know, they're not participating in anything. It's not just they're not participating in this. And so there's always this kind of deeper rooted issue that you have to dig into for that um, small minority of students to, to really understand what are the barriers for them to feel comfortable, uh, for them to feel, um, you know, that they have what they need to be successful in the classroom. And it's often that it's, it's, they don't, they don't have the confidence or they don't have the, you know, maybe the English language skills or, or something to be able to feel like they can just jump in and try something out. Um, and, and that's where you have to provide that extra level of support. How long have you been using this um, and what kind of feedback have you gotten from kids and parents? Yeah, so I think um, I only really started using it last year, like full year. Um, and uh, 
what was fantastic is, you know, I just started using it in my classroom and then other teachers in the building started using it in their classrooms. And then it started spreading to other teachers in the district who heard about it and it's free, obviously. So I was like, yeah, feel free to just start a profile and do whatever you want. Um, and so it just started spreading, quite frankly, in a lot of different places. And I think what's nice is, you know, Class Dojo kind of has a rewards and point system, not with the digital catalog and not with the skills, but they kind of have something that works at an elementary level. But really, there was nothing at the secondary level that did a similar concept and um, did it in a way that was like made sense for secondary students and wasn't about like monsters and, you know, kind of <laughs> graphics like that. You know, I've used um, Class Dojo actually. Uh, I've, I've yeah. tried to use it a couple of times. I personally liked it. You know, one of the things, anytime a new to tool is included in your operation as a teacher, right? You are already doing things a certain way and then you introduce a new app or a new tool then you have to make time and space to, to teach it, to use it consistently, and to do some kind of a follow-up with it, right? And that's mm -hmm. been the harder part for me. When I used for not just Class Dojo, there's many apps I've tried. I'm also an enthusiast for these kinds of things. So uh, anytime I try a new tool, like it's very hard for a tool to keep me there because it becomes, it gets, it starts to get in the way of my daily operations of planning and talking to kids and circulating. So we'd love to hear more about the, this tool from you and, and you know, how, how this works in your like day-to-day -day operations. Uh, but that's been a challenge with some of the other apps. Totally. And, and I would say, I am right there with you when, when it's, when it's an add on or it's just like one thing I need to use, it's very difficult. I use my app uh, cred rewards as, as part of my morning routine. So I have kids open up their Chromebooks and check in on their skills from the day before every day. And it's a way in my mind to have them reflect on the progress that they've made or the lack of progress that they've made. Um, and also think about, you know, if they're trying to get, to do a skill three days a week and it's Tuesday, you know, one of the prompts that I have is, so I want you to think about which days it really makes sense for you to work on that skill because it may not be today, even though, you know, we're, you know, it's Tuesday and you may say, okay, I'll do it today, but think about what you have going on this evening. Think about what your family might want you to do this evening and, and start planning. And I think building that skill set really early on in the day, it's, it's almost like, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but when I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I do is put together a to-do list of like, here's, here are all the things that I need to get done today. Um, and, and it's just like a nice morning routine to help you plan and organize your day. And so I have the kids use it very specifically as an integral part of how we kick off um, our class. And I don't always see the kids in the morning because of the way math and science works in sixth grade. So, so it, sometimes it's just the beginning of class and it only takes about 10 minutes, um, but it's an important part of uh, how I kick off class with students uh, to kind of set the tone that you need to manage your own schedules. Once you're done, they put down the Chromebooks and then we can get started um, with our lesson plan for the day. And how do kids, I mean, come up with their skills because you know, all teachers have at some point, I think, like figured out, not figured out, but all teachers have tried 
at some point to ask kids to set a goal for themselves and and you know we're gonna set a goal for ourselves and we're gonna track it over four weeks or six weeks and at the end of it we'll see how you did toward the goal and then it turns out a lot of times students uh have a difficult time figuring out how to write a goal or a skill that they want to work on and and set it up and and sometimes they will say things like you know uh uh making a a a three-pointer uh once during gym and then they will make it within the same day like and then the goal is done and it's over so how how is what's what's been your approach to teaching students and about how to pick the skill to work on yeah and i think i think that's it's an important distinction um i i don't focus too much on guiding this because i do want it to be flexible enough to where any kid can kind of feel like oh there's not a lot of rules that i have to follow and on on things that i need to understand i can just kind of get started um but a couple of things one i already have preset like 50 to 100 different skills uh based on their grade level so if it's sixth grade seventh grade and i added some stuff for high school um, so if they're not sure what they want to work on, they can just pick something from the lists that I have. The, the second piece is, you know, the three pointer example that you gave, what I would say is actually what they want to work on is just basketball practice and whether, you know, they do a three pointer or they work on layups or whatever they do, you know, I would say what you want to do is you want to get better at basketball. And so let's focus on how you can do that, like how often you should be working on that. Should you be doing that, you know, two times a week, three times a week? And, and the way that the skill framework is set up is you have to pick how often per day, um, how many days per week, and then how many weeks you're going to work on that skill. So it's time bound, which is important for the, you don't want to reward something forever kind of concept. Um, and it gives them the ability to kind of say, okay, I did really get better at basketball. And so I can move on to a different skill or maybe I need to kind of keep going because I, I didn't get, you know, I didn't hit all the goals that I wanted to in, in my basketball um, abilities. And so I'm going to continue this for another three weeks um, or what have you. So, so I think the app has some built in things, um, but it also kind of leaves a lot of things gray because I don't, you know, I want kids to just be able to say, yeah, I want to do a three pointer and then great, then work on that. And then if you hit that, you have to pick another skill because you always need to have two to three skills you're working on. And that's one of the pieces that I always make sure that kids know that they have to have at least two skills actively running um, at all times. Sounds cool. But how do you, how does this in your view support learning in school in general? Yeah, it builds self-management. And I think, you know, what I was trying to say before is in my first year teaching, I didn't actually do a lot of teaching because so much of my challenge was the behavior management, the, the developing some of the basic skills of being in control of yourself, your emotions, your uh, interactions with other people. And I was like, that's, it's so time consuming to teach this that I never actually get to the kind of exciting math stuff that I wanted to teach. And so what this app is meant to do is actually build and help kids build those skills um, <clears throat> on their own uh, through the class experience. So it's not a math tool per se, but the self-management that they learn in being able to pick skills, track skills, manage their own daily schedules 
um, really helps in opening up their mind to be ready for math and be motivated for math. I mean, the, the honest truth is, as I implemented this program in my class, um, I had more time to teach math, even though I was taking up 10 minutes to do this morning check-in with my students on their skills, I had more time because it focused the students a lot more in the class um, afterwards. Before, they, I could get started right away, so I wouldn't have that 10 minutes lost. But like at some point in the class, some kid would you know, say something or upset some other child and we had to deal with that. And you know, lots of things would kind of go wrong in my class and, and a lot of time gets wasted. But I found with this program, um, I, I was able to kind of minimize it a lot. And I think it's partially the app, but also partially it's, it's because I was able to develop a deeper relationship through this app. So it's almost like the app is great and I, I really like it as a tool, but it gave me kind of an avenue to, to connect more deeply with my students on the things that they cared about. Um, and that alone kind of reduced a lot of the, the behavior challenges I saw. Yeah, it sounds that the, the approach of it sounds uh, to me personally very interesting because I think it, it kind of uh, relates to a lot of the social emotional learning work that a lot of teachers have been engaging in lately, which is, you know, starting with relationship building and community building a lot. And if, if one way to build community and relationship is to just check in with kids and talk to them about what they're interested in doing and, and improving upon on their own at their own terms. To me, that also sounds like something that's just a general, uh, generally good practice to incorporate. Yeah. And it could be a, a key lever in strengthening relationships with kids. And teachers will always say that relationships are a really big part of teaching effectively. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I don't know where the time went. I <laughs> wanted to just talk to you about teaching in general also. Uh, <laughs> so traditionally, we always have this last question of uh, a wish list. Uh, you can't obviously wish for a cred app, but something else. Uh, but the question is, uh, if you had a magic wand uh, and you could change something or, or do something to strengthen education or teaching whatever it is and related to education, what would you do with your magic wand? I would make sure every kid in my uh, grade and honestly throughout the country has high speed internet. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's the number one thing because you know so much of the challenge that we had during digital learning came from um, specifically lack of connectivity or connection issues, things like that. They had the device, they just didn't, they, you know, just drop or it would, you know, get disconnected. So I think, I think making sure that that is out there for every student, man, that would be such a, a great gift. Well, I love that. That's a, that's a tangible enough thing that can be accomplished. <laughs> we don't necessarily need a magic wand for that. So that's cool. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and it would, it would help everybody right about now. Thank you for your time. Yeah, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs>